Hey everyone, and welcome to the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. I'm your host, Master Sergeant Lance Haas. Our goal with this podcast is for Team Fairchild to get to know each other, our support programs, and to increase our sense of community and development. Every episode, we'll be interviewing people from around the base and learning about them, as well as their keys to success. Today on the show, we have Chief Taylor from Comm Squadron. How's it going, Chief? It is going fantastic. It's a beautiful day out here at Fairchild, and you know we're loving life. Awesome. And you're you're kind of dual hatting it for a little bit, so I appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, it's always awesome to pick your brain, and you know we've interacted a lot, and uh, you're also always awesome, always very giving of your time and your perspective. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. So let's start off with how did you get here? Kind of walk us through the story. Uh, you know, kind of your Air Force career, maybe before that. You know, whatever you want to share with us about how did you get to be here at Fairchild. As a chief, at what, what were you, 27, 28 years? Or are you right? I had almost 28 years in okay. October. Yeah. So closing in on the end. It's a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you a little bit about myself. First of all, the Air Force has been fantastic to me. Uh, I'm one of the guys that got a job that kind of suits my personality, which has went a long way to my success. On top of that, I've had some fantastic assignments. So let me kind of break that down for you and understand what that means. Okay. My first assignment was Herbert Field in Florida. I'm originally from California, so it was the other end of the country. <laughs> you know, didn't think I would really like it, but loved it. Nice. Right there on the beach. I mean, you, you can't ask for a better location. And at that point, I was part of a special op, so I got to experience a few things that I don't think many airmen in my career field get a chance to do. So I left there. I went to Aviano Air Base in Italy, and that started my overseas kind of string of tours, and I'll get into that in a minute. But again, another fantastic assignment, great location, great mission, great people. And it was during the time frame where uh, Operation Deny Flight was going on and the base was building up. So I got to experience a base grow in the course of a little over three years um, from about half the size it was when I initially got there to, like I said, double that. And so it's a great experience. Yeah. Uh, I left Aviano and went to the United Kingdom to RAF Mildenhall. Oh, yeah, yeah. Again, another overseas assignment. So, and I got to work special ops again. Mm -hmm. Probably my favorite job in all of the Air Force because I got to do some things and being part of operations that I'd never dreamed. <laughs> Spent a lot of time working with the Army, so I got to know some of our teammates in green. But a uh, dream job. Uh, if anybody ever gets a chance to do it, I, I say go for it. Nice, nice. So I left Mildenhall and went to Kadena Air Base in Okinawa, Japan. Again, that's my third straight overseas assignment. How the heck did you go from all those? Do you have a hook over at AFPC or something? Or? So here's where I said I tell everyone, make the assignment system work for you. It's all based off of timing and volunteering. And I just happen to be the right place, the right time for the right assignments. And what do you know? You know, I was lucky. <laughs> yeah, you were. That's awesome. So uh, Kadena was a great time. Um, very fast-paced base. Uh, I deployed a few times while I was there as well, but uh, I think that's where the streak of, hey, you've had it a little bit too good. We need to bring you back down to earth, and they sent me to Grand Forks, North Dakota. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but believe it or not, Grand Forks turned out to be one of our best assignments. And I'd have to put it in a caveat here. So being married with a family, it's a great location. For the single folks, they probably didn't like it as much. But um, great people, um, great community, mm -hmm. great facilities. And it's a smaller base where everyone got to know each other pretty well. And so it made for great friends and family um, nice. for us. So we enjoyed it. But we were only there for two years. And then uh, I think the Air Force was like, you're getting this cold thing kind of down. So they <laughs> sent us to Elmendorf in Alaska. Oh, yeah. And again, for a California kid, I didn't think I would like Alaska, but we loved it. Awesome. Um, great scenery. Um, if you're into the outdoors and the wildlife, there's nothing like it. Absolutely nothing like it. And then Anchorage is a pretty big city, so if you're missing city things, it has a little bit of everything for everybody. Okay. And then another great mission set as well. Um Got to deploy a few more times out of Elmendorf, so I wasn't there as long as my family was, but mm -hmm. uh, it, it was a, it was a great experience, just to say. Nice. So two cold assignments back to back. I think the Air Force wanted to play a trick on me, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna send you back to Grand Forks, North Dakota, <laughs> give you a little bit more cold." <laughs> <laughs> so we we packed up and went back south at that point, to North Dakota. Uh, that just sounds wrong. South to North Dakota. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we had, uh, again, a lot of family and friends still in the area, so it made nice. the transition pretty smooth. Uh, at that point, I think the Air Force said, hey, you've had enough cold in your life. Let's get you a little bit of warmth. And they sent me to Travis Air Force Base which is the closest I'd ever been to home. And I got to do a mission set there that's fairly unique for a communicator in that we were part of a contingency response group, um, another AMC assignment. But again, great location. It's it's uh, close to Sacramento, close to San Francisco. So anything that you could think of wanting to do, it was there. So we enjoyed that. Nice. And then from there, we came here to Fairchild. So that's kind of our journey across America, across overseas, and here to Washington State. Wow, that's uh, that's a lot. So when you were in California, were you able to take advantage of that and kind of visit home a little bit more than what you were before, or mm -hmm. did that kind of help out with the? Uh... It did. So it was about a seven-hour drive home because I'm from the southern part of the state, but being that close. It's an hour flight, so I got to see my family a lot more than any other assignment. And they got to visit us as well, so nice. that helped out quite a bit. Absolutely. Is your wife from there too? Well, she's originally from Illinois, but we met in high school, and we went oh. to high school in Southern California together, so we've known each other quite some time now. Wow. So how many years are you celebrating this year? So we celebrated our 19th year here in March, and March of next year will be our 20-year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank that you. Is, is, you don't hear that a lot. So that's my hat's off to you. That's awesome. So we're going to have to go down to some keys of success as well for not only for professionally, but for, for the marriage side of the house too, you know. So let's kind of let's kind of dive into that a little bit. What what do you think have been like two or three takeaways that we, the listener, can can kind of focus on over the next little bit and that have led to your success? 
I would say the first one is probably relationships matter. Um, I've been fortunate that I've had a lot of officers and NCOs and senior NCOs kind of take me under their wing and going from my airman basic one striper days to a chief and understanding that I was always like a little brother to him and it was part of a bigger Air Force family. Those kind of relationships helped me to kind of navigate um, being away from home, um, learning mm-hmm. what the Air Force is all about, allowing me to, to have some, some stumbles early on, but also kind of to how to overcome them. So relationships have been key and I've tried to keep that vein going at every assignment. And so at this point in our career, We've got friends all over the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, and friends that are retired, friends that are in different countries. And it's the relationships that I think that we've taken from every assignment that has made this Air Force career so worthwhile. So I think that's probably the biggest key. The second one would be just to embrace change because every assignment has been a little bit different. Every job has been a little different. Okay. Um, every leadership team that I've been involved with have been a little different. And the Air Force is continually changing, but if you change along with it, there's opportunities. Opportunities abound everywhere. And if you take those opportunities, then that's how you grow in advance. So I think those will probably be the two biggest takeaways from my time. Relationships and change. Well, do you want to stick on the, the change topic for a little bit and kind of, if we focus on how that applies uh, not only to the person, but the environment. Maybe it's, maybe it's a younger NCO that's trying to change something. Maybe they're you know, in charge of something for the first time, something like that. Let's uh, go down that road and explore that a little bit. Oh, let's. <clears throat> Absolutely. So I would say change for me, when I was an airman, it was more of a do as I say and do it now and don't ask questions. <laughs> Right. But my generation kind of thrived off of that and it made things easier. Whereas now you want to be a little more deliberate and help individuals to understand why we're doing some of the things we're doing. What I've learned is everybody wants to do a great job. They want to be involved. They want to be recognized for the things that they're doing, but they don't often understand why we're doing some of the things that we're doing. Once you make that connection with them and help them to understand that we're not doing it scatterbrained. There's actually a method to the madness mm-hmm. and some reasoning behind it. Then I think everybody gets on board and, and, and are able to make those adjustments. One of the big things is for us senior NCOs and leaders is to get out of the way of the younger generation that's coming. They honestly nice. can process information a lot faster than we can. <laughs> yep. They're more <laughs> adept at changing if you allow them to have a say in what those changes might be. So my big thing is how do we get to yes for a lot of them? You know, we may not agree on the method or how we want to get there, but we agree on the outcome. So I'm one to say, okay, let's change, you know, let's try it and, and we'll see where we can go with it. And it's been pretty successful for us across the board there. That's awesome. It's funny that you say that because I was talking to Colonel Heathman the other day I interviewed him a little bit. I don't know where the timing's going to be if you, the listener, are going to hear that before or after this one. But he was saying basically the same thing of, you know, it's not necessarily the process going through because we all have different ways of doing stuff. And that 
that can be something that the ego kind of has to, you have to be able to set that aside of, yeah, they ain't, they ain't doing it the way that you're doing it, but, uh, probably effective. And a lot of times it's probably going to be better than the way that we are going to do it. Exactly. And that's, uh, that's humbling for the way that we, we kind of can be structured sometimes in the air force. Very true. Okay. So I got some questions for you if you kind of want to go down some of those. So how do you define success? So for me, success at this point in the career is helping people attain the things that they want to do. Um, like I said, Air Force changes pretty rapidly and pretty often. So in our unit, we have people that come in that may want to get a college degree and then get out. My job is to help them do that. And when I see them do it, um, that constitutes success. Nice. We've got others that come in and decide, hey, the Air Force really isn't what I thought it would be, what I wanted it to be. Uh, I'm ready to get back into civilian life. The success for me looks like helping them to navigate their four-year, six-year contract with a positive outlook on the Air Force and then be able to transition back into the civilian side, happy and you know an advocate for the service. Um, success in life in general really for me means fulfilling what God wanted me to do and kind of how he shaped and made me. And so I was fortunate early on to kind of figure out why I'm here to do what I do. And so success now looks like helping, you know, that's kind of what drives me, what motivates me. What I'm passionate about is, is helping people. I'm a extrovert by nature. So I get energized by being around people and anytime I can help, you know, that actually fills up my love tank. So nice. that's what success looks like. Nice. And you, I love how you said that it's not what, you're not trying to impart any any of your own visions of success. You're figuring out what that individual wants. I mean, that's a true hallmark, I think, of of an emotionally intelligent leader being able to, okay, well, what what do you want? Let's let's meet let's meet there instead of I think a lot of times we can kind of go down the other path and and focus on the well, I mean, you need to be you need to have X, Y, or Z. Well, who says that? You know, let's let's figure out what you want. That's awesome. Awesome for saying that. Thanks. So what drives you? I would say my main drivers are faith and family, right? So God made me the way that he did. I don't know why, but <laughs> you know, it, it just kind of fits me. And so um understanding that everyone is a little different. Everyone sees the world a little differently. And so I get joy by learning kind of what motivates people. I'm a people person. Um, I study people, I read about people, I try to get an understanding of what drives and motivates them. And that in turn kind of drives me. So I think that's the first. And then family, uh, my wife and three boys kind of motivate me to always want to be better, to make sure that I'm doing the things that make them proud and also helping to provide them to help make things better for them in the future than maybe how I grew up. So I think those two things are probably my biggest motivators. That is huge. That's awesome. What's the greatest lesson that you've learned? I think probably how to fail. So some folks fail and quit without really learning anything about it. Um, Like I said, I had a few stumbles earlier on in my career 
but I learned from them and I had leaders that allowed me to learn, but also saw potential and helped to push that potential in the right place. And so from failure, if you learn from those mistakes, then there's opportunity for growth. And with that growth comes more opportunity to potentially have a bigger platform to help others out. And so I think learning how to fail is probably the biggest lesson that I've learned. Do you have a specific example you want to share or not necessarily? <laughs> I've got tons of them. Let me see which one that yeah, I, I guess might want to talk about. It's not like you just failed one, the one time, right? <laughs> so I think uh, a story when I was a, a master sergeant and my commander and I, we weren't seeing eye to eye. And he gave me some really negative feedback. And if anybody knows me, I'm a pretty laid back, easygoing person. But at this point, I was pretty ticked, pretty pissed, right? And so uh, he and I went back and forth, and we just weren't seeing eye to eye. And later on, I had to sit down and kind of reflect on the feedback that he gave me. And the reason that he gave it to me wasn't to belittle me or anything. But what he was saying is, hey, Sergeant, I need you to be better because you're supervising this section. And if this section's gonna grow, they're only gonna grow if you get better. So I took the feedback, kind of stewed on it for a little while, and then made the adjustments. And believe it or not, uh, that commander and I um, got along great after that for two reasons. First, he allowed me to kind of give him my rationale for for why I felt the way I felt, but he was also one that um, required accountability. And so, okay, Sergeant Taylor, I heard you. Now I need you to go do this. You know, And so uh, him and I became really good friends after that. Matter of fact, when I got promoted to chief, he's one of the first people that I called to say thank you because he gave me honest feedback that really yeah. helped me to grow from there. Yeah. that. Well, let's kind of stick on the feedback thing then for a little bit because like you said, you don't grow unless you, everybody wants to tell you you're all amazing and here's your trophy and unicorns and rainbows. But <laughs> what have you seen? What, uh, what are some obstacles? What are some tips and tricks to overcome those obstacles when it comes to learning how to, how to give that feedback? Because even you as a master, I mean, you weren't necessarily wanting to hear that at that time. It just took that emotional intelligence of, being able to step back from the situation and figure it out. So do you have any any advice that way? Or? I think uh, as far as feedback goes, the first thing is, is the relationship. Because if you've established a relationship, then feedback, positive or negative, I think the individuals are more willing to take it because they know that either you care about them, you're concerned about their professional growth, or them as just individuals. You know, once they know that you care, then they're open to all types of feedback. And then one of my commanders used to tell me, hey, it's not good or bad feedback. It's direct feedback. It's <laughs> it's giving them the no kidding, you know, scope of things that you might expect from them. Because each supervisor is a little different, but each uh, subordinate is probably a little different as well. And so yeah. how to bridge that communication is a gap really becomes based off of the relationship. If there's a mutual respect for one another, then I think people are open to feedback, positive and negative, and that's where the true growth will happen. I love that, respect and care. Yeah, people don't want to wake up in the morning and 
tell other people bad news, you know. So it takes a person that really cares about them to, to bring it up to them. That's Certainly. An important thing to remember. Thanks. What are you learning now? I'm always in a learning mode. So right now on the professional side of the house, um, communications as a whole is changing. Okay. And it's changing more rapid than probably when I was an airman growing up. And so what I'm learning is in the cyber domain, kind of some of the intricacies of how the equipment operates, how the network functions, what we're doing as an Air Force enterprise to move into that direction, because that's not something that I grew up naturally um, learning or being a part of, but being a chief in comm in cyber, you've got to continually involve and learn and to yeah. stay relevant. And the only way to really do that is, is to learn those kind of things. So I think on a professional side, that's probably what I'm learning the most. Um, on the personal side, it, it's it's really continuing to evolve into a servant leader. Um, what I'm finding is I've got three boys, a 22-year-old, a 17-year-old, and a 13-year-old. Wow. What I'm learning from them is they don't necessarily listen to the things that I say, but they are actually watching the things that I do. Oh, And so nice. how I treat my wife, how I engage with folks around town, um, how I engage with my parents and my siblings, you know, they take that as a cue of what's right and what's wrong. And so it, it, it's humbling <laughs> when one of them points out something that, hey, Dad, you said <laughs> this, but you did that. You know, and so trying to evolve and have that example for them, I think, is what I'm learning on the personal side. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they'll definitely, they'll definitely make you aware of some of those from what I've been told. I don't have kids <laughs> myself, but uh, maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> So what have you read that we should read? Whew. Man, one of my favorite books, or two of my favorites. So um, John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Okay. And then uh, Lincoln on Leadership. Lincoln was an interesting character in, in that how he saw people, how he handled problems, how he told stories as a lead in to kind of bring people together to settle problems. Um, he didn't necessarily respond directly to issues more. So he tell a story. And with that story, there was points that he was trying to make and it made it easier for people to digest in the military. I think oftentimes we're really direct with things and people aren't necessarily able to connect and understand what you're saying. But if you put it in the context of a story that makes sense to everyone, then it's probably easier to digest. And it's, it's also easier to remember because people remember good stories, but they don't often remember, remember like data points. (laughs) It's a good point. Yeah. Um, those anecdotes, they really, they come into play. I use them. I have them all written up on my board. And they all come from stories that I heard on other podcasts. So, yeah, they definitely are profound and stand out for sure. What would you tell your 19-year-old self if you could go back in time? (laughs) (laughs) Pop quiz, right? (laughs) I would probably tell myself, embrace some of the challenges that are going to come your way. Okay. 
They're not going to feel good to you. You're not going to enjoy them while they're happening. But later on down the road, it'll make sense to you and you'll understand it. Growing up and going through some of those things, I didn't necessarily take the time out to enjoy them while they were happening. You know, just kind of finish it and move on. Okay. You know, and so now that I look back on some of those challenges, had I just kind of sat back, took them in, understand, understood them from what they were, but also enjoyed the time that it was happening, I think my life would have been more enjoyable at that point. I mean, I survived it, mm-hmm. but didn't thrive through it, is what I would say. Being in the moment, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I kind of want to circle back around to uh, your 19-year marriage. So we've talked a lot about the professional side of the house. Being married for 19 years in the military is a feat. Uh, my wife and I just hit our 20-year uh, in February. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. Uh, well, I think that was more out of stubbornness than anything. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're doing awesome and loving life. And what are... What are some of the keys through this? I mean, we live a different lifestyle than, like you said, than every, everybody else. Mm-hmm. What have been some of the keys that you guys have kind of put your foundation on? Because that's a, a huge accomplishment. I would put it into probably three categories. The first one, of course, being faith, because we have a spiritual connection and we have a spiritual foundation that kind of, when the chaos comes, it's what roots and grounds us. So I think that's probably first. We've deliberately focused on one another, right? So her needs, my needs, the family needs. Um, We put a premium on making sure we take time out to just be a couple. You know, not mom, not dad, not sergeant, but husband and wife. We do that. And then the third one is, is, and it's specific to the military, is making sure she's involved, Mm. Um, from base to base, you and I, the active duty members, we have built in friends and family, um, just based off of the jobs that we're going to be put in. Yeah. But our spouses, our family don't necessarily have that. And so making sure that, you know, things that are going on around base, things that are going on in the unit, um, functions that are happening downtown, instead of just myself going and being a part of it making sure she was a part of it as well because it helped her to connect with other spouses, helped the children to connect with other children. And so um, it kind of sped up that transition from base to base to base because they had friends, you know, readily there because they were out and about and not just in the house or, you know, off base somewhere away from everything. So those would probably be the big three. That's, that is so true. And, it kind of brings them into our world because you know we sometimes long hours is is a ticket we got to punch and uh, them being able to put that face to the name or kind of know the the group a little bit be like man yeah that, maybe now I need to check up on so and so or something yeah it brings mm-hmm. it, that whole family aspect into it that's yeah. that's huge definitely sure. well what didn't I cover what uh, what questions didn't I ask that you want to talk about. <clears throat> So there, there's two things that I that I always like to talk about. The first one, and you were just kind of discussing it, is balance, right? The military and the Air Force requires a lot of us. And sometimes that means long nights. Sometimes that means working weekends. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means missing birthdays, holidays, 
You know, I was deployed when my youngest son was born. And, and, and so wow. that sacrifice kind of comes along with the territory. But at the same time, when you have that opportunity to leave early, to celebrate with the family, to recharge your batteries, um, you always have to take those. You know, it's a give and take across the board. But across a 28-year career, we've had some great family times. But we've also had some long, hey, I'll see you guys in six, seven, eight month times. Yeah. But that healthy balance there helps the family to understand that they're a priority just like the Air Force is a priority. My wife <laughs> often calls me G.I. Joe because I just love what I do. You know, I, the, the Air Force is, has fit my personality and way of thinking and doing. And so she understands that that's a priority for me but also they are a priority. Okay. And then balancing the two, I think, becomes becomes key. So taking taking time out to make sure you focus on them as well as the job is is a big one. And then uh probably the, the most important one is finding something that you're passionate about. Right? what drives you, what makes you get up in the morning and get out and do what you do. Because if you can connect it to it becomes easy. You know, so for me, the, yeah. the the job isn't really a job anymore. It's it's what I do, and it it actually brings me fulfillment. You know, when I'm not doing something is when I'm like, "Ooh, this isn't working <laughs> for me. I gotta I gotta actually do something from here." You know? Yeah, yeah. So those would probably be the two. That's funny that you say that. I had uh, going through school, so there's a lot of you know you're always, and I think maybe in the military we kind of do that. Is you know your day gets filled quite a bit. And I'm not saying that people that are, are not in the military don't because they do obviously as well, mm -hmm. but it just seems like it's a little bit more. And, you know, I had an hour or two hours where I was just like, you know, the homework is done, the house is cleaned. And I was just like, you just sitting there like, Oh, this is, this is weird. What, what do I do? What do I, what do, I do? You know? <laughs> so, you know, you find something and then, you know, inevitably in, you know, five or 10 minutes, something else comes up and you're back to it. But, you know, just for those little bits of time, it's, mm -hmm. Hey, what? I, I don't know. This is, this isn't normal. You know? <laughs> exactly. I know what you mean. <laughs> well, Chief Taylor, thanks a lot. I really appreciate your time. You are awesome. Uh, if you guys see him around base, for a little bit longer anyway, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hit them up. Always, always uh, been very helpful for me for all the different classes we've been putting on and everything. So I really appreciate all your support. So that's it. This is uh, the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. Again, I'm your host, Master Sergeant Lance Haas. If you have a show idea or anybody that you would like to hear from on this show, please contact us at refuelteamfairchild at gmail.com.